So last week, uh, oh, that's right. Uh, we had Jesus interacted. Yeah, it's the girl from the dead. That's right. He had interaction with the bleeding, the bleeding woman, uh, and the daughter, and Jairus's daughter. Uh, and we saw that uh, <laughs> that Jairus could have been super disappointed with Jesus because, like, as Jesus gets distracted on focusing on other things, uh, it doesn't seem like God's always paying attention to our stuff. So that He might be stepping in on other people's things. Uh, and I think one of the strong lessons was that um, God, God's never um, He's never away from your situation. Even if He doesn't interact with in the way that you want, even the timing that you want or the thing that you want, um, He is capable of, of doing both. Um, uh, and ultimately we find that He does, He continues to show power over, uh, over demons, over sickness, and over death. So, after that, uh, let's start of chapter 9. Luke says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is good news, but there's something that happens right here that we have not seen yet, really, in the Gospel of Luke. Does anybody know what it is? He sent the disciples to do stuff, too. That's right. So, so far in the Gospel of Luke, they've been doing a lot of hanging out and a lot of watching, right? They're getting to know Jesus. They're following when he asks. Um, they're going where he goes. They watch him do certain things, right? But the disciples aren't really doing much. So he thinks they understand enough? Uh, I don't really understand it. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I, that's the question, right? Like, obviously, here's well, here's the thing. We know we will know by the stories that we read today that they're not they're, They still don't get it. They're obviously not getting they're getting all of this. Um, but yeah, but I think one of the one of the clear takeaways here, guys, is that like following Jesus actually requires following him. It's not a sit on the bench type of thing. It's not just a understand what he's doing and cheer him along. Um, Jesus has the expectations that when people follow him and they serve him as king, that ultimately they do the things that he does. And so, um, and that's exactly what we saw in his instruction, right? We see his example of, of healing and teaching, um, and then he gives that to his followers, and then it's their job to go do it too, okay? And so, one of the things actually I think is a really good takeaway is that sometimes we feel like we're not prepared. I think we can know out front these fellows are not prepared. They're not, they simply don't know how to do everything well. They will continue to misunderstand him. Peter's going to nail it, actually coming up in this chapter, and then he's going to stay. Um, and so there's not a sense of, hey, I, I'm waiting until it's the perfect time. Jesus, as the perfect provider, will give us the means to do the things that he wants us to do. But he does send us out. And so don't have the concept that Jesus looks around and goes, it's just good that you acknowledge me and let me take over your, mercy, your, your worries. He, he does do that. Um, but a lot of the outworking of what Jesus does in our personal lives comes through serving him faithfully. Okay? And so, I know we've talked about this before, but it, like, if there's things that we expect, Jesus, there's, there's peace that Jesus provides, there's joy, um, there's, there's a love in our heart for people, for other people. And if you find that you're struggling with those things, you're like, I just don't feel them. I'm just don't, I'm not confident that Jesus is with me. I'm not feeling the peace that I would expect. Um... One of the questions, the first questions that I would ask 
is are you trusting him with what you do in your life? Not just do you trust that he can do those things, do you trust that he will do those things? And are you behaving and reacting in a way to the things that he's called you to do? Because oftentimes that joy is found in the servant, in doing the stuff that he asks. A lot of times, guys, we, when we say, hey, I don't see God moving in my life. These fellas saw God moving in their lives because they went and did the thing that he asked them to do. And they were able to heal. And they were able to preach the kingdom of God. Make sense? So, like, just don't, it's, 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 um... Just so worried that Christianity has this sense, especially in the Western culture, of being so passive that we just receive it, that we just take it in. But like part of acknowledging Jesus and who he is, you get everything the kingdom brings, but you also get the instructions of what the kingdom is to do. Uh, and that includes honoring the, the call of what Jesus had to do. And so if you're missing some of those things, say, I just don't see it. My question would be, are you being faithful to what God has called you to do? Because a lot of times the joy is found in the work. The peace is found in the effort. Not because he's not because he's saying, because you did the effort, then I will honor you. He tells you to do these things, and these they just naturally come with it. Because to see people healed, whether it's spiritually, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, guys, it's amazing to be part of things like that. And you will find peace and joy that you never expected from being able to see that. To offer, to bring stuff to God in prayer, um, and to offer it up to him as opposed to handling it your own way. When you see God start to do things, you find peace and joy and comfort and you're reminded that he's there. It's, it expresses itself in the action. Christianity is not a lazy religion. Okay, Followers of Jesus require actually following him. And that's where a lot of good gifts of the kingdom are found. Okay, So I'm going to invite you into that. So he calls the twelve together. I like this. Uh, he gave them power and authority. Uh, think of these two as, as related but separate. Power is the ability... Uh, or, uh, authority is the right to do something. Power is the ability to do it. Okay? So, so Jesus has the authority over sickness and death and demons and spiritual forces. He is capable of uh, taking control okay, and, and exerting power. The power is the means to actually do it. Those two things belong to Jesus, right? We've seen that so far. We've seen it so far in the study of Luke that, that both of those things are true for him. Okay? Is he alright? Oh. Is he upset because he got his pants on? Happens to me. Oh, okay. Um, so, the power and authority that Jesus has, it says he gave to them. So, uh, again, do I have personal authority over dark spiritual forces? No, I don't. Uh, do I have the means to heal people under my own power? No. No, I don't. Not like magical healings. Not like... No. Uh, it, right. I mean, can I give him a band-aid? Maybe. <laughs> See if I have any. Right? But yeah, so the, it's the authority that they are given, the power and authority, that, that comes from Jesus and he gives to them. That is still our reality. He does give us those things. We can exercise them, but they're not yours. Anybody who claims to have power on their own, okay, or exercises it for their own benefit, be super suspicious. That is not from God. Okay? There's people who claim to be uh, doing met, um, miraculous things under the banner of Christianity, guys. But if it points back to them and doesn't point to Jesus, it's false. Because they don't have power. Now, if things are happening from that power, then my only, my only note would be that it, it's potentially dark power. That it's evil power. Okay? And that it doesn't come from Jesus, it comes from somewhere else. Okay? So the first thing you're going to ask yourself is like, when there are things like that happening, if it points back to God um, and it gives God honor and glory then 
that can be from God. If it's something that is intended to otherwise lift up a person and make them seem more important or get them money or get them attention, um, then that's not from God. Okay? He sent them out. You notice what they were supposed to do, though. He gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Okay? So even again, those two things are coupled, um, just like Jesus couples them. He brings a message, okay? Uh, and he talks about this kingdom, and your right reaction is to be like, how do I even know you're a king? Who are you to tell me that these things are true? Why should I believe it? Okay? And so Jesus does things like raising people from the dead and casting out demons and healing so that people can understand that when Jesus claims to have a power level of authority, that they can see it. Just like we saw with the, the pigs in the lake, right? It wasn't just that it happened, it's that people could see it. Okay? So the disciples are given that same type of power and authority that Jesus gives to them. But ultimately, um, they are doing it not just to do it. They are doing it or coupling it with proclaiming the kingdom of God. So it's both. It's always both. Jesus wants us to serve and heal the world to the extent that we are capable and that they are receptive. Um, that we don't do that in absence of proclaiming the good news about Jesus, about where the power comes from, about why we heal and serve the way that we do. Those two things always work together. They are not separate. And so don't ever think to yourself, well, I only do the healing. I don't really talk to anybody about Jesus. Or I only talked about Jesus, but I don't do the serving and healing. Someone else will come do it. He always couples that message, okay? Because they reinforce each other. Then he gives an instruction, and he says, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Didn't we talk about that when um, like people carry two tunics? Oh. About someone taking yours and you being yeah. in the book wild? Yeah. They usually only have one. yeah, they would generally already have one. So what, listen to the things that Jesus says. Don't take a staff nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. He's sending them out on a journey, and he's saying basically what? It's going to be a really short journey. You don't need to prepare for a long amount of time. They do seem to be going to many villages. You don't need that much. Well, wait a minute. You don't need that much? How about how long can you go without bread and money? I mean, I get it. He's saying he'll provide for them. Okay, well, don't stretch the answer to something that he's not trying to say. It seems like he's saying, you know, pack light. You think it's just like technical means to have a lighter journey? No. No, it's obviously not that. So he says, take nothing for your journey, no staff in your bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. In whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Did it seem like they just went one place? No. 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 So they went. They was a, it was an extended journey of which they weren't supposed to take much. So what are the three things, the three instructions that Jesus is providing? One, he's saying travel light. Um, yeah. There's the discrepancies between this and some of the other accounts. Is like uh, I think it's Matthew or Mark says, "Don't take two staffs," uh, where where Luke says, "Don't no staff." Uh, I, the point here, I don't stretch the language farther than it needs to go. The point is, this, is he's just saying, "Don't you know what's ahead of you?" I'm asking you to not prepare in the way a normal person would. The provision must come from somewhere else. Now, where is it going to come from? People. Yeah. 
So, so here's the thing. The, the over-spiritual answer is, I will rely on God to provide me everything. But is that what Jesus has actually said here? I mean, I think he's telling them to trust him, that they don't have to prepare all the things, but the people will be the ones. If That's people right. people believe, they will, like, um, take care of them. That's right. So here's the thing. It's, again, it's not, it's not a sense of magic. That I run along, and, and although God has been known to provide bread at times, um, that isn't really what Jesus is prescribing here. He's saying, don't prepare, rely on the hospitality of people as you go. Okay? And they will react to you in some way or another. He's saying, trust me as I trust those people to present hospitality to you. Okay? Which is an interesting thought. Like, trust me, because I trust you. Uh, and it's, I don't think it's, that's what's tough. It's, Jesus isn't saying that they're all good people, right? Because he says, some of them may not give you anything. If you see that kandama on the what's left side funny? of your screen, that's good old Emma. <laughs> um, so, what, what were you going to say? Like, even if they don't, just ignore it. Yeah, so it's it's well, and it's an impact, right? Because if they if the where you stop, they don't provide you. You may not eat that day, right? But Jesus is saying, look, I don't want you to prepare on your own. I don't want you to take extra and have a lot of backup for yourself. He said you're going to rely on people's hospitality. Do you think they understood that, or they're just like, oh, God's going to provide me? No, I think well, because ultimately that's that's what we're saying. Is this not the story of humanity? Like God says, I wish to provide. For the, my creation, how will I do it? I will do it through humans. Humans will be me, will be my image on the earth. They will try to rule as I am supposed to rule. Um, when I want to bring a blessing to the world, I will do it through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, Is- and, and the nation of Israel and through people that love and follow Jesus. Correct? So if that's his intent for the world, it's not a surprise to say when he says, go out, rely on the hospitality of people. So does this mean that not like all of us should otherwise assume that we are supposed to, to always be light so that we can rely on everybody else? No. Why not? Well, because somebody has to get to somebody. Exactly. There's two people in this equation, are there not? There's the people who are traveling light, who God has sent to do something, who are going to rely on other people. The other side of the people uh, of the equation are the people who are providing for them. The people who are being hospitable. Okay? If God is sending you out to something, go. By all means, go. And trust Him with the provision that He will provide. He will provide for you through people. He will provide for you miraculously. Uh, he will, there will be times when you won't have what you think you need, and God will give you peace. That could be you. On the other side of the equation, there are people who are supposed to support others whom God has sent. Right? These folks are just at their house. They're just, they're just waiting for a dude to knock on the door. And start and go, hey, we're with Yahweh. <laughs> can, we, can we sleep on your couch? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you sure can. Here's a staff. <laughs> and here's some food. And here's some money. And whatever we can do to help. Okay? If God is not calling you out, then God might be calling other people in to you. Make sense? If you feel like you're neither of those things, my guess is we're missing it. I don't, I don't imagine that it's too often that we're neither of those things, okay? Either, either God is calling you to care for people that he has sent or provided you, uh, or he's sending you. 
So be on the lookout for that. Um, and I, I just, I, I want to pull this out of the realm. It's not that God can't provide magically. Jesus will do that directly. He will do a miracle right after this. Yeah. Okay? He will provide miraculously. No. All right? He is, and God has done it in the past. Yahweh is faithful in those things. But like, Jesus has a very practical means of having humans do the work of God. And that's not new with Jesus. It has always been true. That is God's intent ever since Adam and Eve were created. Okay? So just, just that's, not, um, that's not over and above. That is God's core intent for humanity. That we would serve him and that we would serve everybody around us. Okay. Uh, he says something... He says something rough. Oh, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Now, I read that, and I thought, well, of course. If I stayed there, where else would I depart from? Uh -huh, Luke. <laughs> um, but that's, what he means is, wherever you go in the town, and you ask for help, there I want you to try to stay. And if they refuse you help, you leave the town. Oh, man. Their, the hospitality, the first door they knock on, represents how Jesus can interact with the, how the disciples can interact with the town. So you walk by every house. Which guy looks the richest with the most extra stuff? Hmm, this house. I'll <laughs> you could. I wouldn't because the rich guy is probably super selfish. Oh man. It's probably not probably not booked by its cover, time, ladies. You probably. I, well, then... I might pray on it and just say, God, if you've got one for us to knock on, let us know. Otherwise, we're going to go to that one with the doormat that says. Welcome, all ye missionaries. Okay. So, um, so what's interesting is that this is not um, this is different behavior than what most like uh, religious or philosophy or, or healers would do. A lot of times they would go to house to house and they would they would beg for money. Basically, you would knock on the door and say, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a healer. Is there anyone in the house that can that can provide healing?" Oh, no, or yes, well, can I help and heal? And then will you provide me money so that I can continue my ministry? And then whoosh, next door, next door, next door. Disciples aren't supposed to act that way. They're not going to go around and, and, and ask every group of people for provisions. Uh, God is going to use the first reaction of whoever they deal with in that town, and then he's going to decide what to do with it. Okay? And it's not like they won't talk to people on the way. There's not a sense of that. They're not going to be rude or anything. But like... Um, the point that, that when they're going to villages, I think we get this picture in Matthew that these are um, Jewish villages. Okay, um, now they have a reaction though. It says when when wherever they do not receive you, basically in the town, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they know what it means. Well, yeah, they would know what it means because, like, so Jews in that time, if they walked through Gentile territory, um, like Samaria, uh, we, remember we've talked about that if they were in the northern part of. Uh, of Israel and they wanted to get to Jerusalem they would oftentimes go around because they wouldn't want to travel through Samaria because it's, it's like a Gentile halfish territory Okay, so if you walk through Gentile territory a lot of times what the Jews would do as soon as they left they would shake the, the dust off their sandals now what are they just think about practically what are they doing getting rid of every trace they have that place. exactly right, right I don't want to take any of this place with me I'm shaking it off and leaving it behind so think of it as, now the, the Jews of that day would be doing that out of Gentile territory as a means of an uncleanliness. I don't want any of this unclean land on my feet. Shake, 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 shake. That isn't the intent here. It's kind of like a good riddance. Like, if this is how you're going to be, I will, we will leave you to that. Okay? God ultimately doesn't leave them, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic um, uh, gesture that reflects kind of how they received the message. 
Um, it also kind of is a disassociation. It says, look, we tried this. It's not my deal. Right? I, we tried. We talked to them about who Jesus was, and they rejected it. Um, this is hard. This is hard, guys, because I know that, that we have, like, within our church community and certainly beyond, um, we have this thing where we try to introduce and talk to people about Jesus, and they don't want it. And we're like, what the heck am I supposed to do? Uh, part of the part of a notion here says um, we gave them the true thing. They should they they should have reacted to it. They didn't want it. Okay, can they still come to Jesus? Sure, Jesus never closes that door. Um, but you know what you don't see is these same people going back over and over and over and over and over, over again to the same place. Okay, we talked about this. I want to say like six months or so ago, and it's it's one of the things that started to really change how I prayed about things, as opposed to saying, "God, what should I do?" Uh, I find the situations where I know that He's needed, and I've been praying, "God, will You send Your Spirit ahead of us?" When when uh, Shelly was talking about that during our prayer stuff, and like it is, it has been helpful to me to think of it that way. And frankly, I've seen God do it. Where I say, where I said, send send the Holy Spirit um, ahead of me into any like where these conversations need to happen. On my own, they're not having any benefit. And so, will you send the Spirit to change hearts and minds so that when the conversation does occur in whatever way it does, that it it is received well? Okay. Uh, and it's a testimony against them. Ultimately, guys, it's a reminder that people not um, people have reactions to Jesus, and they won't always be good ones. Um, good news is good news, um, even if people don't want it, but that doesn't mean that they're actually going to receive it. And so we can do our very best to communicate good news and live it out faithfully and honor God with how we interact with other people. Uh, but ultimately there are people who will just say no. And that's, not a, uh, that's just a moment. It's not a forever thing. Different people in different circumstances, changes in their lives, God shifting and changing their hearts may otherwise alter that. But in that moment... Um, People will make their choices, and it's 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 okay as long as you're doing, you're acting faithfully um, to God and how you talk about Him and share good news and serve others. Okay, uh, let's see. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, here's let's go ahead, Della. No, I was just. You wanted a high five? No, I, was, I said healing. Everywhere. Healing everywhere. I so, so I made this note in my Bible. Uh, when I was reading this earlier this week, and I thought to my, and the note was, shouldn't they get it at this point? Remember, we said that they kind of get it, they kind of get it, don't get it. Uh, but they went out, and Jesus gave them power and authority to heal, and they went out and healed, <laughs> and cast out demons, and preached the good news of the kingdom, including like people's repenting and turning to Jesus. And so, like, at that point, when you came back, wouldn't you be like, I get it, I get what's going on here. I've been part of the the main thing that Jesus has had us do. I always thought that with the Israelites. Like once you saw the Red Sea parted, don't you get it? Then? Right, right. Don't, wouldn't you understand? Wouldn't you say, yeah, I got this under control? Now, unfortunately, guys, we're just not like that. We're not like that. We, we, will, be, we will see God do something and we'll go, boy, God was with us on this thing. He was here. He was interacting in our situation. We've seen a miraculous intervention. We've seen things that the world would say are uh, uh, a series of coincidences, but like it, can, it has got to be orchestrated by God. And then three weeks later, we're like, yeah, but I don't know if God's real or if I don't know if he's with me and I don't know if he loves me really and I don't know if he can forgive me for this stuff. And Right? Like it just doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. 
Um, and these guys are walking with Jesus, and it doesn't stick. So whatever, you're in good company, but this is where I would remind you uh, about good habits. Not habits that we, that we do just because we think we're supposed to, but reading our Bible and praying consistently, guys, is what keeps our mind oriented. It keeps us doing and focusing on the things that we should. Talking about things within our community to say, God was here with us this week. I, it's one of the things that I just have not found a great way to do it, guys, but I would love to, to do better as a community to just, just make sure that we're sharing out broadly. God was with us this week, and here's how I know it. Here's what I saw. Here's what happened. Um, we kind of do that, and maybe in pockets, but like I would just like to celebrate more because it, it just reminds us to keep telling stories that doesn't allow us to, to fall off a bit and go, oh, well, yes, we saw the Red Sea parted, but is Yahweh faithful to provide us meat? Yes, we saw people healed, or we saw a situation come together that we were never expecting to happen in the way that it did and are totally surprised and blessed by it. But does God actually still love me, and does he, is he a mercy the way that we sing about? Stories remind us of who God is and what he does, okay? So, yes, read your Bible tree, but be reminded of that. Yes, be praying and open and say, God, I need to be reminded of this thing. Do it a journal. These are not just ways to act like a Christian. They're ways to be Christian so that you don't forget who Christ is and what he's done, okay? So I'm, I'm encouraging you to those things to make time because if you don't make time and do that stuff, stuff starts falling away and we start believing goofy things. And our mind doesn't get wrapped, it like starts to bail on things that we know to be true. Okay? So, at this point, yeah, I think they should totally get it. They don't totally get it. Next door. Um, now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. That's a weird place to tell this story, isn't it? Yeah, let's see this. Okay, here's the next. Interesting. Like, why are we supposed to care? Now, if we know, as we look ahead, what we'll find out is that Luke is setting us up. Matthew does this a lot, too. He's got you thinking about something. So there's all this healing that Jesus has been doing um, may he knows, maybe he knows about Jesus, maybe he knows there's crowds that follow him, okay? But now you've got his fellows out about traveling villages, healing and casting out demons, okay? And spreading the good news of the kingdom. And it says, oh, it's a, it's a ruler. Uh, we might otherwise call him a king, less formally. This is Herod Antipas, okay? This is Herod Antipas. Um, he hears about all that was happening between Jesus and between his, what his disciples are doing. And it says, he was perplexed. He was curious. What's happening here? What's going on? Especially if they're preaching the good news of the kingdom. And you're King Antipas. <laughs> and you're like, like hey, I don't know you who's guys. supposed to be Where the king guys? of the Jews here? The Antipater. Right? Antipas. So he's hearing about these things and he's perplexed. Because how people are talking about, they're talking about Jesus as a prophet. Now, has Jesus been acting like a prophet? Remember those stories where like, he's acting in such a way that he looks like Elijah? Yeah. Right? Like he heals people in a way that they can recognize. Okay? Or casting out demons. And people are saying, oh, it's a prophet. And some have said, oh, it's John has been raised from the dead. Or that Elijah had appeared. I like his candle. I, mean, I just imagine him saying, like, John, I beheaded. But. Yeah. 
Who's this other guy? Yeah, I mean, and it probably is like, well, people are saying it's John. He's like, but I've hit it. I took John's head off. He's not. He's not back alive. Now, do we? Do you, here's the, here's what messes up by how we read gospels because we know this. We know John died that way, but Luke didn't tell us that yet. This is the first way that we know that John's dead. We don't know that John is dead. The last thing we we saw were John's guys asking Jesus, yeah. "Hey." Are you the deal? Are you the real deal? Or should we wait for somebody else? And we, we assumed they were going to go back to John and tell him what was going on. So, very casually, Luke mentions that Herod has killed John the Baptist. Okay? So, what's curious here is that obviously the rumors are starting to get around and they're making their way back to the king, to Antipas. And he's wondering, hmm, I wonder what's going, I wonder who this is. And that does make sense for him to wonder that. You, you would wonder that. And I think it's more of a curiousness here. He will get a sense that he's particularly threatened, but he's like, they're talking about the prophets of old. And I don't think he really believes that, that anybody was coming back from the dead. That, um, that's not something Antipas is likely to believe, actually. He's more likely to say, they're saying it's this, uh, but obviously, like, people don't come back from the dead. So who is this? What is he doing? What type of authority does he bring? Okay. Uh, John added, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. He's like, ah, I'd like to take him in. Okay. On their return, this is probably a while, by the way. You don't just travel cities and villages and stay with people for like two hours and then move on to the next one. And we have a sense that they were probably out traveling for a while. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it's Matthew that has Jesus send the disciples out and then he goes out. And he's doing things, uh, and he's interacting with people who, um, uh, who are claiming his powers comes from Satan, who are asking about where his authority. They don't deny his authority. They, de- they deny that it comes from Yahweh. Okay? And he has to answer to that. So the disciples go out, and Jesus, of course, gets into trouble while they're going. Um, so it says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Excellent. Jesus seems to be happy. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Great, you've done a lot of good things. Let's withdraw. The, the, just like he withdraws at times after he's done serving, um, he needs some space and some time. He takes the bros and he pulls them together and says, okay, I'm going to Bethsaida. let's go to Bethsaida. Okay. Um, interesting note. Okay, hand geography Bethsaida. Um, they have been, so this is Nazareth, Capernaum, Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida is either... Here or up here? There's debate, okay? Um, what makes most sense to me is that it's up here. It's the one that's north of the Sea of Galilee. So, like, actually, if you're talking about the uh, the lake, um, Lake of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Galilee, Capernaum, the Gadarenes, where the madman was, Bethsaida's up here, okay? So he's going everywhere but south. It's kind of a triangle. Yeah. Basically, he, he stays around the lake, Okay. So he's at the north part of the lake in Bethsaida. Um, interestingly enough, this is not Herod's territory. He's up in Philip's area. Okay, so he's made his way after all this rabble rousing, and we hear him talking about Antipas wondering about him. He, him and the bros are heading up to Philip's territory. Okay, um, so they withdraw. They're going to get some kind of got a sense that you're going to get some peace, going to hang out, and then what happens? Who follows him there? The crowds. The crowds. It says when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who need of healing. Uh, I thought that was super interesting. Because after you get done serving and doing the things that God wants, sometimes you just need a break. Say, so look, I'm going to pull apart. Jesus always supports this. He goes up and prays. 
get some alone time, get some recharge time, says it's good. And so him and the bros go up for a little vacay, and what happens? The crowd follows him. And what does he do? He says, get out! I'm trying to have my vacay with the, with the boys. <laughs> oh, shoot. No, Jesus has unending patience for people, even when he's trying to vacay with the fellas. Okay? They follow him up there, and he goes to the crowd, and he welcomes them. It doesn't just say he tolerates them. It says he welcomes them in. You ever done that when you're tired and you go, oh, I just don't want people around me anymore. I just, no, no, go away for now. Or you let them in or you, you decide to provide, or phone calls, guys, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just don't want to answer that phone call right now. I'll pick it up later. I'll talk to them later. I'll, I'll handle that later. I'm just saying, Jesus is the better us. And Jesus sees the crowd and he goes, welcome. <laughs> welcome to my vacation spot. <laughs> and what does he do? He heals them and he teaches about the kingdom of God. What does that sound like? Jesus. Well, that's yeah, Jesus. That's what did we just read about? All right. It just, it's just what the disciples just got done doing. Okay. They just got done doing that. They come back and now Jesus is again demonstrating the same thing. That they're doing what Jesus does. Okay. Um, now the day began to wear away. What does that mean, Lila? It's getting darker. Yeah, yeah. It's been long. So not only does he get up there to vacate and the people show up, but they're hanging around for a long time. Now here's what I know. I don't think it's because, I think there's probably a lot of people to be healed. But also, if Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, I think he's probably long-winded. And so you have have examples in Scripture of Jesus speaking a long time and Paul teaching a long time. And so I'm just saying, I'm in good company. Welcome. Okay? So, uh, Jesus is teaching a long time. The day's wearing away. And the 12 came. This is why I think he's teaching. It's the bros who come up and say, hey, man, the day is getting long. People want to get to Sunday brunch or whatever. Like, it's, we, should, we need to do something. So the fellows come up to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. They're out. They're out in a desert. Nah, I'm not sure it's a desert because we know there's grass there. From a different description, okay? But they're away from the city, okay? So he says, we're in a desolate place. You've talked for a long time. People are hungry, and they need a place to stay. And so the bros are saying, Jesus. Now, I love this, what Jesus says. Yeah. Hey, you give them something. That's right. But he said, you give them something to eat. And you think to yourself, what? <laughs> we're going to find out there's 5,000 people here. <laughs> what the heck? What are we going to do? So they say, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, that would be expensive. Because uh, it says, for there were about 5,000 men. Now, it could just be that there were 5,000 men. Oh, wow. Or it could be that there are 5,000 men plus their families, women and children. It could be like 10,000 people. They just provided the count in men. Okay? I'm going to talk about ways that you might be able to think about that. But like either way, I'm not sure there's a, there's a practical difference. Two fish, five loaves, cutting it? Of course not. It's not, it's not going to do it. So, so they are faced with the impossible. They say, Jesus, we have a real need. Jesus goes, yes, that is a real need. You should fill it. And they're faced with the impossible. What do they do? He's so easy about it. He's like, hey. He's like, hey, bring this in and help me get food. You feed them. You feed them. You feed them. And you think to yourself... 
Jesus, this is not possible, what you're asking. What's the first thing you should do when faced with the impossible? Okay. Pray. Pray. Yeah, pray, exactly. When faced with an impossible task, especially one that God has given you, you ask God for the power and authority to handle it. Right? God does not give you tasks. When we say that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, that's not true. Oftentimes, it's more than we than a burden that we can carry. But the right reaction is to say, we're asking God to help us carry it. We're asking God to otherwise step in and do things. He's well aware of your limitations. God is, is perfectly, acutely knows what you can do and cannot do. And so... What's interesting is I find the disciples, this is where I drew the line. Shouldn't they get it at this point, back at the other one? And then I drew an arrow where he said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves. And then it says, but they don't. <laughs> but they don't get it. Because that should be the first thing you think of. When we're faced with something that you cannot do, is to say, God, how are we going to get this done? Not God. Here's, here's how often how we explain ourselves, guys. When we worry, we think, God, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? The presence of that question is almost always when you're trying to carry more than you're capable of. When you're trying to solve a situation that is not within your ability to solve. God, what am I going to do? I like the phrase, God, what are we going to do? <laughs> and what I really mean is, what are you going to do that I can walk faithfully in? But he is a, he will, it is a we, because like I said, he does expect you to walk faithfully in it. But like, I love God, what are we going to do? What is almost never helpful is God, what am I going to do? That's what isn't helpful. Because that's what they tried to ask. Okay? So, but he said to them, you give them something neat. They said, we have no more. We have five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. There are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups about 50 each. All right. All right. Jesus has got a plan. Put them in groups of 50. Okay? How many groups of 50? A thousand. A thousand. No, no. 50,000. There's a lot of kids. A <laughs> hundred. Right? 5,000 men, uh, at least, groups of 50. Okay? Uh, now they're in, in pockets of 100. Uh, so on the number... Uh, first of all, remember he's um, none of the none of the uh, gospel writers are newspaper guys. They weren't out there going, "Don't move, don't move, don't move." Five thousand, oh, start over. That wasn't what's happening. Okay, about five thousand men. Um, like I said, could be just men. I doubt that. I kind of doubt that. That that there's five thousand dudes all gathered out there. There's not women and children. Um, there could be an interaction where you get this picture of Jesus kind of hanging out um, away from the city. And there's 5,000 guys out there. Um, do you remember how many people I said were in a Roman legion? It's between four to 6,000 generally. Okay? How, were, were there ladies and children in the Roman legion? No. Men. Okay? So I got pockets. I got five, roughly 5,000 folks listening to him talk and teach out in a, out in a desolate place. Um, and this doesn't happen in Luke's portrayal. I think it's Matthew's or Mark's, but they will, um, or maybe it's John's. Somebody else will say, right after he gets done talking, they will, they will try to make him their leader, make him a king. Well, I think okay? So you get this sense, you almost get this sense of this, this military crowd-looking thing. Okay? Why would there be a group of Romans there in this? Not, they're not Romans. 
No, 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 no. They're not Roman soldiers. What I'm saying is that, like, if you think about the the picture that they're painting, is a, a one person who is leading five thousand people. Okay, has the same look and feel of like a Roman legion. Okay, it's here's the deal. I'm not sold on that. All right, it's possible that the gospel writers are interacting that with their numbers. Okay, but just know that like it's not as they don't care that there's five thousand three hundred eighty-five people. They don't care. That's not that isn't the point. In the Jesus Storybook Bible that we have, it says it's a kid that gives him the yes Bible. Yes. Yeah, the disciples don't say that in Luke's story, but yes, it shows up in, in the way Matthew describes it. Yep. Um, so anyway, so on the numbers, guys, I just don't. Um, it's possible that there's there's some symbolic symbolism to the numbers, like the Roman Legion stuff. I just keep that in an open hand. Okay, it it may be, it may not, um, but just know that the physical count is less relevant um, than maybe what we think. All right. Oh yeah, have them sit groups of fifty, and they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. He blesses the bread, and then he delivers the bread. What is this as Christians? What do we? What does this look like? Yeah, it looks like communion to us. Okay, Um, they wouldn't have obviously known that at the time, but as Luke goes to write this and Matthew goes to write this, they obviously see the connection. Okay, and so all of them actually include that element of the story. Because we see God's provision, okay, and otherwise a blessing and then a distribution of bread. Uh, He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Hey, what did Jesus tell them to do? Feed them. Feed them. Are they feeding them? Yes. Do you see what he did? Jesus still facilitated them to do the thing that he asked. Jesus didn't just feed them. He didn't just say, okay, I'll do it. Hands off. I'll miraculously show up with bread and fish butts or guts and stuff all everywhere. It was bones and guts. When I said bones, I thought no one eats bones. So I tried to switch it to guts. And I said fish butts. You're welcome. You are very welcome. I could have just said fish pieces like a normal person. (laughs) But no. That's not what it is. <laughs> then if it's actually the disciples feeding the 5,000, then why does it say Jesus feeds the 5,000 on that like, caption thing? Lazy. Lazy captioning in your Bible. Okay? Ultimately, God does it, but he does it through humans. I, I, I just, um, I, don't, I, I don't feel like I'm hammering on this, but I don't want to miss it, guys. Like, we've got good work to do. We've got awesome work to do. God could do any of those things miraculously however he wanted. He wants it done through you. Okay? So let's be part of that kind of thing. Jesus facilitates the disciples to do the very thing that he asked. And he asked something outrageous. And then he provided the means to do it. You know what I like? Is that he could have just gone, fine. (laughs) Let me break the bread and I'll do this myself. That isn't what he does. God God has always had patience with his people. Every time Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, everybody in the nation of Israel continued to fail and grumble, okay, God still said, okay. <laughs> and he punished, and he brought them back, and he reoriented them to, to follow him, but he kept using people. He never abandoned his initial, uh, his plot to say, it is through my creation, humans, okay, that my work will be done. Even Jesus comes as a human. Okay. 
Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. How does the how does the miracle happen? Uh, he asks a blessing over it, and then just he just breaks them, and there's a bunch of pieces. Like Jesus presses the bread, and all of a sudden he's got pop, 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 a thousand pieces of bread. They just keep breaking it, and just yeah, yeah. I don't know. Does Luke doesn't say. Yeah, and they break it, and he goes back breaking. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I don't know that it particularly matters. Like, I'm curious. It's a have, it's a, like a forever kingdom question. Can you give me a picture of what the bread thing looked like? Did it, did you have a thousand pieces of bread, or did they just every time they broke one off, there still happened to be more bread there, and it never left? Like the oil from Elijah, right? Like it doesn't end. Um, so it doesn't say. None of the gospel writers say. And they all ate and were satisfied. Oh, Arlo. Hey, you want to come down over there, buddy? No, no you want to do it right by the video? <laughs> good, good. Your mama wants to see it. Okay, good. All right, so it says they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. I have a question. Yes. Does that have to do anything with the 12 disciples? Ah, like great, great question. Why, the question is why mention 12? We could have just said everyone was satisfied. I mean, wouldn't that be enough? That he's miraculously provided food for 5,000 plus. And we're like, boy, everyone was full. Which means there's no sense of everyone got a morsel. I've seen like legit theologians try to explain. Like, oh, he made it so like everyone got a tiny piece. That's not what the scripture says. I, I think I know why he said that. What? Because he said it because he's trying to show the disciples they were selfish when they said, well, we don't have any. Well, not really selfish. Not but selfish. But, go. Um, just missing it. Yeah, and then they're just missing just like, go. we still have 12 baskets left. Doesn't 12 mean completion? Ah, yes. Yes. So, I'm open to, to, I'm open to depth in this particular story of 12 just being like, hey, did each disciple was holding a basket full? As an example to them. Just like, again, the, the pigs in the water really illustrates things well. Like, Jesus does things so that people understand them. And so, like, if each one of the disciples, and they're holding excess fish butts and bread, okay? Because God provided. And they're holding it and looking at it going, oh yeah, <laughs> that's why we should go to ask Jesus. Okay? Like, I think that's a pretty good example. And that would make sense to me. Is there also a notion of completion, of 12 as a note of a number of completion that says um, God, provi- God provided completely, right? Everyone was got food, they were satisfied, and even the, even the amount that was left over was complete provision. I'm open to either one of those, okay? So just be, don't close it off. It could be deeper than what you think. Um, but I'm open to either one of those. Either way, the notion of, of saying 12 has to carry greater significance than a count. Nobody cares that it's 12 baskets. You understand what I'm saying? And there were basketfuls left over when it communicated the same thing, unless it's telling you something more. Just like as you guys think about um, seven days of creation, Okay? I know there's a lot of people that debate as to whether we should think of that as seven literal days or not. But I, at the very least, I want you to think about this. Could God not have created the world out of the snap of his finger all of it at once? Of course he could. There's... Hey, does that carry on a video? You catch that Arlo win? Classic. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, buddy. Excuse you. Um... So on this, just think about it, though, on the seven days of creation stuff, um, it has to be for a greater purpose because you know God could have done it on his own. 
Okay, without having to, he could have done it all at once, no problem. Okay, so there's something bigger than it took him seven days. So just just allow the Bible to breathe a little bit when it talks about things like that. Where are we at here? Ah, okay. We're gonna. Uh, they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Okay. So that's it. That's all we're gonna get to today. Uh, big things I want you to take away. I see a lot of. God continuing to choose to take action in the world through his people in this example. And even though the disciples get it and don't get it and then get it and don't get it and get it and don't get it, that's okay. That's our life too. Okay? We understand what Jesus is about and then we try to act faithfully in it and then sometimes we stink at it. Okay? I cannot compete with Arnold. Um, so so I, want you to, I want you to be praying about that stuff this week, guys. Um, if you're the person that's going out, go out faithfully. If you're the person that's helping people that are going out, let's do that faithfully. Let's do it with our time. Let's do it with our money. Like I said, it, as, as being one of the richest countries in the world, maybe we're money people. I think that's fine. Okay? Just because God sent, uh, Jesus sends these disciples out to go, it doesn't mean everybody goes. Okay? Somebody has to help fund the, fund the mission. All right? So it's what, I know that we have it, and we have it in excess relative to the rest of the world. So if we're money people, let's just throw it out the window. Let's find a place for it to go. Let's help the people that are going and make sure that the, that people are being fed and healed and that we're supporting those whom God has sent if he's not sent you, okay? Um, secondly, when uh, we travel light, rely on God, okay? I think that there's still some quality to that, okay? Don't, don't over plan um, and take the burden upon you to plan for everything that God has for you to do. We saw that when he tells them to go out and heal and preach the kingdom. We saw that when he wants to feed the 5,000, okay? The solution wasn't for the disciples to go, you know what, we're going to end up in a desolate place. I wonder if there's going to be thousands of people. We should bring a heck of a lot of food. That wasn't the right solution. The right solution is, is to take it, to travel light, to be prepared for anything God has, and be prepared on how he's going to solve for it. Okay? Be open. Now, he may, Jesus may have said, hey, I've got a guy in town who's got some fish he's going to give you. Go lift him. doesn't mean you never have to do any work. It doesn't mean God's just going to miraculously show up with everything. Okay? But it does mean that you don't have to solve every problem ahead of time. God can do that. He'll take care of with the problems. So that goes to the third thing. When we're praying, guys, is as you're looking at problems in your life, you're looking at things that you think need solved or need interaction, let's lose the I language. What shall I do? What, what, can, what can I do to solve this thing? What can I do to change this thing? Okay? Let's start with prayer, not how can I feed 5,000 people. Jesus, you tell me, man, how can we do this? I trust that we can get it done. You tell me how we can do it. Let's go, with a, let's go with a we. Let's honor God for who he is and that he's the stronger part of the we. But, that we are, that, but, but, but he won't just do it outside of humans. He interacts with the world through humanity. Okay, So let's, let's jump in on that thing. Let's get excited about what God... I mean, how cool would it have been to be picking up the baskets of fish? Every time someone dropped a bread in the basket, you were collecting, you were like, whew, cannot believe that. <laughs> I was one of the dudes holding the baskets <laughs> after God did the thing. I'm totally cool with being the basket man. So just think about what it's like to be part of that. And like, God's got all kinds of those things waiting for us. Let's get in on them later. I went to Matthew and it says, they have seven loaves of bread instead of five. And it says, Jesus feeds the 4,000. That's uh, a different story. That's a different group of people, yeah. That, that second, so Matthew tells that story twice. One is 5,000 with um, what are probably Jewish folks. And then one's 4,000, which are likely Gentiles. Hey, there's one about the parable of 
the sour too. Mm-hmm. Okay. You guys got any questions? Did I miss any questions on the? Um, Sarah had just said I think it might have been a little bit ago because I just remembered to get on, but she talked about. So I'm not quite sure what it was in relation to. But she said, is that a cultural thing, too? Hospitality was a big deal there. Yes, hospitality is very much a cultural thing. And that's still true today in the Middle East. Um, hospitality to strangers. Hey, strangers come up to my door. My first reaction is, eh. Uh, in fact, there was a lady. I had stopped at the gas station yesterday to get some gas. And there was a lady that stopped um, some people on the other side of the gas pump and asked if she could use their cell phone and scared the crap out of them. <laughs> uh, and they said no. Uh, they said they, they wouldn't let her borrow their cell phone to make a phone call or whatever. And so, I'll, I'll be honest, my first reaction was, I hope she doesn't come over here. I hope she doesn't come over here. I hope she doesn't come over here. Now, I would have let her use it. But, like, I just didn't want any part of the interaction. I'm like, I just, I'm just trying to get gas. Leave me alone. And, like, oh, man, that is shameful. Now, it changed in my mind after about a second. But my gut reaction is not hospitality. It's protection. Just leave me be. I don't want to get any awkward situations because I feel like I won't handle it well. Uh, she went in, she found somebody that, that would let her use the phone inside, I think. But um, it's, it's not in me. I have to fight that in me. Um, as opposed to saying, God, if she comes over here, help me make the most of the opportunity. I'm like, keep it away. Not today. <laughs> right? So just, yeah, yeah, just, just keep our eyes open and be willing to do that. And some of this, some of this you guys are already doing, and, and that's, that's a blessing, okay? But like... Um, I just saw, I saw a lot here for what we are as humans, and it's not do it because so so that God will love us. God is expressing His love and His gifts through our being faithful to those things. Okay, they just show up in our work. Work was always been good, so let's. I think it'd be cool to be part of picking up baskets full of, of bread. So the more that we push it up to God and say, "How are we going to do this?" and then we get to pick up the baskets and go, "How cool was it that we were part of what God was doing here?" Okay. So let me encourage you that this week. Something to be praying on. All right, you guys. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I just got a little distracted this week with some of our house stuff, so I apologize. Um, uh, I, I think we'll, our goal is to meet next week. And so if anybody wants to host um, and would like to do it, uh, just let me know. We could do it here. We're trying to sell a place, uh, which may or may not be a deal. Uh, but we'll um, – so we, we could have it here too. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it. But if you're interested in hosting next week, just let me know. Anyway, I love you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me this week, and uh, we'll talk to you later.